Jeff, it is Wednesday. We are recording. I'm in the state of Utah again, yet we have still not met in person, but you are recording on site at your new home studio and moving really sucks. That's the moral moral of this week's episode. Yeah. Moving's the worst, man. Like I didn't even do the moving. I had movers and it still is just, it's such a pain in the butt, like everything about it. It, it, it is the, I don't know. It's like a bigger version of losing your wallet, like losing your wallet. It's not the end of the world. You, you can get a new driver's license. You call the bank, you call the whoever, get new credit and debit cards. You're out whatever cash you lost, but it's not that big of a deal, right? But it's just a, a tedious hassle. Moving is that, but on a bigger scale. And I have, this was the first move that I have ever done uh, from house to house. When I moved into my last house, we went from apartment to house. This was the first, like I had an entire house to myself, AKA an entire house to fill with crap and move it to another house that's a little bit bigger so that I have more room for more crap. And man, it is draining. If I, if my wife doesn't leave me by the time we get rid of, like unpack our last box, it will be a miracle because it's just an awful process. Well, Andy Reid is still a taken man. So she's going to have to settle for you. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of what I'm selling and we'll see, we'll see if she bites, but uh, it, it, it could be dire, man. But it sounds like, I mean, this house, this, this is going to be the uh, probably get this is going to be the get your kids through high school house right like it's you're planning on camping for a while here i hope it's not it's not the starter home no it's a little it's a little bigger than a starter home you know all of our neighbors are uh you know in fact i think there's only two neighbors uh in my neighborhood of like 20 houses that have kids my age everybody else is a little bit older kids are currently in high school so my hope is that we're, we're able to be here for a while but i I now have one of my neighbors is an influencer in the wild. I get to see an influencer in the wild every day. Oh no. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, I watched one. I hope to see your submission. I watched her video. Yeah, I need to. I watched her post a video. Well, I didn't watch her post it, but I watched her making a video for what I'm assuming was Instagram, but she was, you know, just walking around and like showing off the gold, she got like gold fixtures in her kitchen and I, I had to go and find her and watch the, the Instagram story, but she may put it on other outlets, but then she matched her porch lights to her kitchen, like drawer handles and cabinet handles. And she was very proud of that. And she was showing that. And I watched from my upstairs soon to be office, her doing this. And so it'll be interesting to have an influencer in the wild right across the street. I do not understand the whole influencer culture, but we ourselves are trying to become fan influencers, and we have not yet recapped Boise State. And so as fan influencers, we're going to direct you to givemhelpbrigham.com. We have two recaps, your initial uh, kind of gut check reaction recap that you posted on Monday. Well, I guess it's not initial because it was two days after, but what you posted on Monday I posted mine today with some other thoughts and kind of looked at some of the numbers and really the, I mean, it's really painfully obvious, right? Like that it boiled down to the three fumbles and that was it. And anybody it's actually the, the one or kind of the biggest benefit of this game is that anyone who is blaming 
that loss on Jaron Hall, you can immediately discount every other single thing that comes out of their mouth related to the game of football. That is true. Like Jaron Hall was rusty. And I think it's okay that we admit that. Yeah. But Jaron Hall was not bad. In fact, I would argue that he wasn't even average. He was still above average. He completed 60% of his passes and threw for 300 yards. Uh, yeah. I mean, he was still very good. And so the, the only issues that I had with Jaron Hall, I end up chalking up more to coaches. Um, that last drive, and, and granted, BYU was down by nine. They still needed two scores. But I thought it was really questionable that they went for the end zone three straight times before the, that, that last, I guess, the third attempt ended up being picked off. Uh, I mean, I know Jaron's young by, in terms of like game experience. But that felt like, I don't know if he was coached to throw it deep or if he was just trying to do too much and, hey, hey I need a touchdown fast. We're going to go deep now that we're inside the 40. That was, that was the only like questionable thing I saw from Jaron. The, the bad throws along the way, you know, that, that's going to come. That's going to happen. That's every game, every quarterback. The only thing I really was like, ah, Jaron, what were you thinking? Were, were those three plays? And those could have just as easily been play designs. Right. And in the interception, I mean, it was fourth and five. He literally, he just, well, was it up a fourth he, down? Yeah. And so it was a 500 ball. I mean, that's fine. I wouldn't count that. But the biggest thing with me is he had plenty of times where there was room to run and he didn't do it. And so I don't know right. if that was him not feeling comfortable, which if that's him and he doesn't feel like he can be himself, then, and he is feeling trapped, then it's you probably need to like maybe look at going with Baylor Romney just because. Like Jaron's got to be himself and he's got to be loose and Boise state secondary. Isn't, isn't that great? Like Jaron, he played fine, but he obviously was not himself and was not rusty. His arm is good enough, but, and I think that's a lot of why a lot of fans are upset and frustrated about it. It's just because he's almost like outright refusal to run. And so I don't know if that was coaching of, Hey, we don't want you to get hurt because we don't trust what Jacob Conover can do or whatever it is, or we need to protect you. Like do not take any additional hits. Like you are becoming a pocket passer this week. I don't know if that's the case or what it was, but there was plenty like on that fourth and five, he could have gotten the first down with his legs and yeah, there were I, multiple it, times where that happened. And so I, I don't agree. know. Well, I think we'll see. I mean, it maybe it could have been like, Hey, between this game and next week, Baylor's the bigger game next week for us. Like, you know, think things are weird whatever we need you for. we need you to be able to run next week so we're willing to sacrifice your legs this week to keep you healthy maybe that was uh, maybe that was an intentional decision i don't know yeah and not to start a bunch of uh unnecessary hullabaloo but what do you think this says about conover so here's what we know about last week coach roderick confirmed it in his monday presser i think uh that well and he i guess he unofficially confirmed it Jaron took a third of the reps that the regular QB one would take on Tuesday and Wednesday, according to coach Roderick. And then about half the reps that a QB one would normally take on Thursday. And then he became the starter and that's coach speak. You can probably say a third and it is a fourth, maybe a fifth, you know, like they're going to exaggerate a little bit. That's what coaches do. If Conover, presumably Jacob Conover was taking the rest of the reps that Jaron didn't take because Baylor was in whatever concussion protocol. 
if Conover is being prepared, he's getting the lion's share of the, of the practice, of the reps in practice, of the work in practice. He is there for the install of the weekly game plan. And then he gets the rug pulled out from underneath him in favor of a quarterback who, while experienced, only has started at the time five more games than Conover. And he's not going to use his most dynamic weapon being his legs. What does that tell us, if anything, about Jacob Conover? Right. And I don't know how much to read into that, right? Versus, you know, what is it of just maybe we want to protect Jacob Conover's retro status or, you know, just he didn't feel right because it's, I mean, we've seen, we've heard the reports. We know we've seen Jacob Conover carve up the first team defense last year when he was the scout team quarterback. Like it's Jacob Conover's talent and ability to play quarterback at the division one level is not in question. And so it's, it's one of those things where you can take it a lot of different ways, but without really being in the room and knowing exactly what those conversations are, it's hard to really form an opinion on. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I don't, I w- I'm inclined to think of, Hey, Jaron's arm can do it just as good even if we take away his legs his arm can still get done what we need to so let's not unnecessarily throw conover out there even though conover is older well i guess he's not really older because he was only on a mission for a year and a few months because covid cut his mission short so you know it's but he is he's older for a freshman you know he's been in the program he ran the scout team last year he he's ready and wants to play but i understand that the roster management especially at the qb position is a tricky subject it is it's weird and we're seeing it's that weird. even, I mean, look at, look at the issue go, situation going on at Oklahoma, right? Which is fully weird after they benched Spencer Rattler, which is, I think, what, what was the hashtag that you came up, you and Corley Ward have come up with? Yeah, to future Ute quarterback. Yeah, future Ute quarterback. He's probably, he's probably going to end up in the portal, right? It, they benched him, made a huge comeback. And if you ever watched QB1 Beyond the Lights on Netflix and saw him, He's a punk. Like, I'm not surprised at all that he has flamed out. Uh, no. And, I mean, he no. got kicked off the team his senior year of high school for doing drugs in the bathroom of his high school. Right. Uh, he is he, – he's a uh, – he's really close to, like, Tate Martell status in terms of, yeah. like, sideshow off the field. But he has more talent than Tate Martell. Oh, definitely. And the, the most ridiculous thing, though, is that Lincoln Riley in Oklahoma, they've cut off all media availability because a student reporter – for the Daily Sooner, whatever their campus newspaper is, got went upstairs into another building on campus that had a, a decent line of sight to the practice field with a pair of binoculars and sat and watched practice and counted and figured out that Caleb Williams was taking the first team reps and not Spencer Rattler. And then he reported it in the Daily Paper and broke the story. And then Lincoln Riley, so Lincoln Riley was mad that a reporter who did not have access to practice reported what happened in practice. So now nobody has access to post-practice interviews. Bizarre. Lincoln Riley is a strange dude, but it, it, it causes College a mess, right? football coaches are a strange dudes. College like football, all of them. they are. And it's, they're, they're I mean, so it's just unnecessarily paranoid. It's, it's, it, it would be easier to walk into the Pentagon and get the U S army's secrets about like what happened in Kosovo than it would be to walk up to like Utah's practice on a Wednesday afternoon. And it is so strange, the paranoia that exists in college football. I don't understand it. Like, 
guys, especially at this point in the season, even with this whole Caleb Williams, Spencer Rattler thing, there's a whole game's worth of film on Caleb Williams now. Like we, we know what he's going to do. Uh, it's up to you as a coach to disguise the wrinkles. And if you're not a good enough coach that you, your opponents, if they know who your quarterback is, all of a sudden you're going to lose then that's on you. That's not on access. Like, good grief. I just, I, I can't for the life of me figure out why college football coaches are so incredibly paranoid. And I, I could go on about this forever because BYU is the same way. I, uh, BYU is, is very particular and, and they do it for different reasons. I don't think it's as much Kalani as much as it is the school and the administration being paranoid, but they're so paranoid about things about their about their image about what is is and is not being said uh we had once and maybe this is uh, opening the kimono too much but once upon a time i think it was who i think it was before the 2018 game against arizona we had a vip nugget like thread on um uh, a cougar sports insider and we got a practice report that we prefaced with, hey, we weren't at practice. This is what our sources told us. Yep. And we, we wrote down this whole thing. And we got calls from BYU at threatening to pull Mitch Harper's credentials while he worked at ESPN 960, threatening to pull his 960 credentials. They can't pull Cougar Sports Insider's credentials because, they because they've never given us credentials. Right. Like we, everything we do on Cougar Sports Insider, we do without the benefit of a media pass. Like, and so, and, and I like it that way. I prefer it that way because we're able to get information and they can't, you know, hold a media credential over our heads. But like, that's the, the level of paranoia that we had this thread that was stuff relayed to us by people who BYU handpicked that were allowed to take part of this practice right and they got mad at us for reporting it and it's like no guys like it's the equivalent of i have a hole in my roof but i'm super pissed off at the weatherman when it rains because i get wet in my house right and instead of fixing the hole in my roof i'm gonna go chew out the weatherman for saying no weatherman you're an idiot make it better and that's what's so much of college football and BYU is a good example. This, this Lincoln Riley thing is a good example. Like there's so many examples, like pick something at Utah. There, there, there was something uh, just a, a year or two ago that Steve Bartle, he, he reported it and Utah flipped out. They were not happy about it. It's like, hello guys. Uh, this is, welcome to big time college football. This is the way it's supposed to be. And I, I just don't understand the paranoia. It's never made sense to me. It's, it's too much because eventually like it's going to get found out and you think of, okay, what makes it to the actual public media, right? Like how many times, um, you know, it's, does Vegas pull a bet off the board? Like we knew, I remember we knew that we figured out that Bo Hodge was going to be starting instead of Tanner Mangum in the 2017 Wisconsin game, because the line, the game got put up and then the casinos took it off the board at like 1030 on Tuesday morning. There was no public statement about it. There's a practice was closed. Nobody was talking about it. But when a line goes off the board, you say, okay, there's a quarterback problem. We know Tanner Mangum got hurt last week. Something's up, right? Like it's people are still talking. Even there are ways like the opposing staff, they're going to find things out, even if it doesn't like, and it's not going to be from you or me. It's 
you know, it, they're still going to find stuff out because people are going to talk. College kids, right? Like there's right. 125 college kids. And having said that, I don't get any information from players. And so that's what's just so mind-boggling to me is it's like, I don't know. If you have ever read through my Twitter account or my TikTok account or talked to me personally, I am the first person to acknowledge that I am overweight. Like I am fat. I compare myself to Andy Reid. Like I get it, right? And, and part of it is funny, but why do I do that? Because there is nothing that like it, it, this is like getting into the inner anxiety of Jeff Hansen, but there's now nothing that can be said about me that I haven't already said myself. Like you can't call me fat, you know, Garrett, for the first time trying to make me feel bad. You can't try to put me down and say, hey, yeah, Jeff, you're fat. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I told you that. Right. And I get ahead of this thing that way by being open and transparent about who I am. And fat is one thing. Like, pick an example. It's just so weird that, like, these college football programs, they, they don't just try to get ahead of it. They don't just try to control the narrative by speaking to the narrative. They try to control the narrative by pretending that a narrative doesn't exist. And it is such an old-school way of thinking. Back when, you know, there were newspapers and that was the only way that news got out, I guess that worked, but welcome to the internet, folks. Like, you, the only way you can control what is talked about is if you talk about it first. And why that is not just like universally understood by college football coaches is just beyond me. It does not make sense. And, and college athletic programs as a whole, and really any large institution or body outside of you know the military it's national security to protect those secrets. I don't understand that. Like pretending like people aren't going to find out, like things aren't going to get leaked is it's, it's naive. It's insane. It, it just is not the world we live in. So embrace the world we live in everybody because we live here <laughs> and it's not changing. I, I just don't get it. Yeah. And it's, it's especially weird with younger coaches like Riley, but I, in a lot of ways, football coaches are very, you know, curmudgeon. I was actually talking to a coworker about this the other day. That it seems like football coaches, right? Like you had to have played, and it's even like at the high school level, especially it's like a lot more meat-headed, like stuck in their old ways. Whereas mm. basketball coaches tend to be a lot more cerebral. Like you have a lot more basketball coaches who never played but were just students of the game and just like tacticians. Mm. And it's like the coaching skill is very different from the playing skill. But in football, it just doesn't seem to be that way like mike leach is an outlier right like but in basketball that's yeah. much more common of you just like i got the brain so we're gonna do it and it's, it's true. i don't know that's why they're, they're so superstitious uh but but they are and we are going to get to this uh and we are talking about college football in general we we kind of we had our notes for this pregame and it it's kind of it's a boring matchup right like it's we know what baylor is because their offense is going to be the same as what we saw last year they're pretty much doing the same outside heavy, like outside zone heavy. It's very similar to what BYU's offense is this year, what BYU's offense was last year. Uh, Jerry, Gary Bohannon is a good quarterback. Baylor has a fun offense. If you look at like Massey composite ratings, right, this week, Baylor's 19, BYU's 22. It's a little different being on the road. Obviously, how the big question is how is BYU going to respond to the loss? And that's what you wrote about on Monday. You said, you know, Boise can't beat BYU twice. 
And that's going to be the big thing you're seeing. How does this team respond? Because it's kind of teetering right now. Like it could, like, is this going to be a bounce back, get back into it? Or is this going to be like 2014 where after that first loss, another one came and then another and another, because we've got Baylor this week, Wazoo next week, Virginia the week after that. And this could easily end up at a four game skid, right? Like the town, all three of those teams are talented enough to beat the Cougars if they do not come out focused and compete. And I think that's one thing that we saw and kind of maybe this is what is lacking is the player leadership. Um, and we did have, and that's kind of what I wrote about today that someone passed along to me after having a conversation with a former player and said, you know, the game plans are great. We're getting up to big leads. We're stopping them early. The coaches have been ready. Like the game plan, the script out the gate has been great in every single game. But like that third quarter lull, right? Like there's really nobody, if you think about this team, there's nobody on these roster who is like, right? We have the leadership of, you know, like Peyton Bilgar's always making a play. We have Tyler Algier is kind of a leading by example, the play against ASU, chasing guys down, whatever. But there's nobody like when everyone's dead and you need some like to get them fired up on the sideline or someone makes a mistake and like, or is slacking off and just needs to get chewed out. There is not a vocal leader on this team that I can think of. And maybe that's that's what we need. And it's, I am. I think you're right. I mean, I can't think of anybody. Neil Powell is kind of a vocal guy. Um, but you're, I mean, by and large, I think you're right. I, I think what needs to happen, and, and this is in terms of player leadership, is you need – Keenan Peely was that guy, period. Yeah. He was that guy. And, and so how, how do you replace that? Like replacing Keenan Peely on the field, we've, we've seen the struggles. But I think for the most part, Max Tooley, Ben Bywater, you know, Peyton Wilgar has elevated his level of play for sure. I think on the field, they, they've done okay without Keenan Peely. You still miss Keenan Peely. You still wish he was there. But by and large, I think they're doing okay. Uh, but it's that off the field because he was that guy. And I don't know on the defense who that guy is anymore. Peyton Wilgar is a leader, but he's not. You're right. He's not vocal. Uh, Lorenzo Falatea is vocal, but he was hurt with something undisclosed last week, and he right. hasn't been on the field as much the last few few games. And so that's hard to 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 say, hey, your vocal leader is going to be the guy who's who's on the sideline. And so I don't know who steps up on the offense. What I would like to see, and I I I think we saw a little bit of it against Boise, but I think he's starting to kind of grow into the role is Puka Nakua. Now that he's healthy and now that he's in the offense and, and he's a starter, he has looked at as much as, as, as uh, Gunnar Romney is. He's considered a deep threat. He's a you know fiery guy. He needs to take that next step. And it's interesting you bring up 2014 because that was when Kai Nakua really emerged as a big-time leader for BYU. And I'll never forget, it was that uh, UCF game. BYU ended up losing the game. But he stepped up with a big interception, and that was when it was like, whoa, this kind of Kua dude, he, he's for real. And, and Puka obviously has some different expectations on him coming into the program, but it was in a loss that kind of Kua really emerged as the kind of Kua that we all think about now when we hear that name. And I, maybe it's this, 
a loss against Boise State where, where Puka played well. Four catches, 75 some odd yards. Uh, maybe that's the kind of performance. That's that's two performances in a row where he's been knocking on the century mark of receiving yards, where maybe he feels comfortable, where he can look around at everybody around him and he knows, hey, he's one he's one of, if not the best, most athletic player on this team. I could start to talk. And it was that UCF game in 2014 where I started to see that from Kai Nakua. I hope that Puka takes that step because you're right. I don't think it exists. I, we could argue that it does on the, the defense a little bit, I guess, maybe with, with, with some of the way that the rotations work. Uh, the, the offense, it's maybe Neil Pau. Puka Nakua and, can do it. And, and I think after the Utah game, right, like after the, the feeling after the Utah game, especially after Jaron Hall had that huge run that got called back, Right, was that like this kid is a budding star, and he it's, he was talking the talk, and his his injury kind of has derailed that because he's missed a couple of games, and so it's hard when you've been out, when you weren't that guy, and you went out and come back in, you can't be that guy right away, and so I think Jaron has that potential, and it seems like he has a personality, but again, it's like he just needs the time, right? Like because even you know you'd see it right, like it's what we saw in two thousand nine you know, Max Hall running off the field saying, we're going to win this game and him being the vocal guy. He wasn't that guy as a sophomore, his first year started, you know? Correct. And so it, it's, you have to kind of grow into that role and need a couple more games. And so I think it's hard for Jaron in his first game back to do that. So I think that potential is there, but it's, there's somebody, there needs to be a guy that's there. And so that that's, I think is the biggest thing. And we also have to remember, like we had a great, incredible start to the season and, we still lost, like, look at how many, how much we are replacing, right? Like we lost multiple linemen, right? We lost three of five starting offensive linemen. We lost, uh, we lost receiver, right? Well, obviously we lost quarterback on the defense, right? We lost Kyra Stonga. We lost Isaiah Kafusi. We lost Zane Anderson. We lost, I can't even think of everyone Like it's, you know, you're looking across the board and, it's a really young team. And so this team is responding and it's that just that ex, that's something it'll come with experience, but we don't have it. And that's something where maybe that experience and that extra leadership bump from that experience could have made a difference, right? Like we know, take away those one of those three, even if you take away just one of those three fumbles, we probably find a way to eke out a win. If you take away two of them, we win by two scores. And mm-hmm if we had a little bit more experience and this was a little more senior laden team that had, you know, a little bit more leadership, we probably still find a way to win. Even with those three fumbles, the way they exact way the game played out on Saturday. And that's just something that it's just, that's football and it's weird and stuff happens. And if it's, you know, like have how many fumbles of Tyler Algier and Lopini Katoa had in their career, like none, right? Like if it's just a freak thing that it happened, boom, boom, boom. And that's just the way football is sometimes. And it sucks. And that's why we love it. it it's true. And that is, that's exactly why we love it. And, and college football has been weird this year. And I think it's time for everybody to just embrace that year. I mean, Iowa is the top second ranked team in the country right now. Like Alabama lost to Texas A&M, a bad Texas A&M team. A Texas A&M team that struggled with Colorado just a few weeks ago. Maybe the best way to describe it is Alabama lost to a backup quarterback uh, who looked like he was not going to be able to play after getting rolled up on late in the fourth quarter. So a hobbled 
backup quarterback. Nick Saban's defense gave up a game score, a game winning drive in the closing seconds of the game against a backup hobbled quarterback. That just doesn't happen. Like 2021 is having all kinds of 2007 vibes to it. Yeah, I don't. It, it really is the same. And even the Bill or yeah, Bill Connolly posted after Alabama lost that with Alabama losing, I was the 40th ranked team to get defeated in the first six weeks of the season, which actually passed 2007 for most ranked teams losing at this point in the year. Yeah. Wild. Unfortunately, thing. we played a part in that, but, well, but also we played a part in a record. So that's true. Depends on how you look at it. You know, gotta, today, gotta think positive. Today I'm a, ha- a glass half full kind of guy. That's it. We need that type of positivity. So with this Baylor game, I mean, the big thing obviously is Dave Aranda and his defense. The last time we faced a Dave Aranda de- defense, it did not go well. In fairness, the last time we played a Dave Aranda defense, the starting quarterback, with all due respect, would have been QB4 on this year's team. Don't disrespect Sol- don't disrespect Soljay like that. It would have been QB five. <laughs> uh, I mean, I think it would have been close. No, it, it's true. And Dave Aranda, I don't know if people realize how familiar Dave Aranda is with the BYU football program. Like he he has been around Utah, the West, and and, and even BYU for the better part of a decade and a half now. He was at Southern Utah in two thousand eight. Uh, and presumably, how long was Ed Lamb there? Like, he was probably there during 2008, yeah. wasn't he? Let me see. I'll look it up right now. I should have looked this up before uh, we started the show. But uh, do, Yeah, he say, was the head coach from 2007 to yeah. 2015. So not only did he work at Southern Utah with Ed Lamb, Ed Lamb employed Dave Aranda. And then Dave Aranda went to Hawaii, you know, another program that's obviously familiar with BYU from 2009 to 2011. Utah State, 2012, Wisconsin with Gary Anderson in 2013 to 2015, and and then finally made the move to the SEC and LSU in 2016. Uh, And then he just moved over to Baylor last year. But this is a guy that is very familiar with what BYU wants to do. And then obviously Coach Grimes, Coach Mateo is going to be incredibly familiar. They, They were in many ways the architects of what BYU wants to do on offense. So this game has so much, and obviously that's, you know, the, the, the conversely BYU is very familiar with Baylor and Aranda and Grimes and Mateos. These two teams know a lot about each other, even though they haven't met in 40 years, these two teams know a ton about each other. It's going to be, I don't know. It's going to be one of the more interesting maybe boring <laughs> the one of the more interesting boring games on saturday yeah i think i it will be interesting because the especially just seeing how the defense play comes out and what type of i guess how we attack that right because we know david randa's defense because it'll be interesting to see how kalani and ed lamb and elisa tuyaki kind of how the and kevin clune what they work together and what kind of game plan they come up with um, to kind of attack that offense that they're very intimately familiar with, right? And so it, it's it will be interesting to see. And obviously, this is where we will see 
you know, the offense needs to come out. The offense needs to move the ball. And Baylor's been a pretty explosive offense, right? They can move the ball. They get a lot of chunk plays and the types of plays, like what they want to do on offense is what this defense is designed to stop, right? Prevent big plays, keep points off the field, make them be inefficient moving down, uh, make them be inefficient moving the ball down the field and eventually they will make a mistake or the field will compress and they won't have enough room to do what they want to do. Right? That's the plan. And we, it'll, that's what will kind of be the most intriguing thing. And I imagine that the game plan is going to come out and I think it's going to be more similar to what we saw the first three weeks of the season than what we've seen the last couple of weeks. I think because last, so. I, I, because last week it was, we know you can't run the ball. Well, we're going to make Hank Bachmeyer beat us with his arm. And he did it right. Like he only threw for like 160 yards and like 40 of it came on that one incredible catch by Khalil Shakir. That was a good all the way around. That ball was perfect. And Shakir like, made a you, you just got a tip. You got to tip your hat on that one. Yeah. That was an incredible play. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm anxious to see what A-Rod does, and I'm actually anxious to see what Grimes does, uh, where both of them are apt to call the trick play and want to do something different. In a game where familiarity is there, it's going to be really interesting to see. Like, that's maybe the only super interesting storyline I could think of, uh, is how are these offenses going to add wrinkles to their game plan that will actually catch the defense by surprise? And, it's, and I don't know how, I don't know what that answer is, but it's going to be fascinating to see it play out. Yeah. And you can talk to about like, Oh, the familiarity, right. Of what, you know, Oh, Mateos and Grimes know what Tuyoki wants to do. They're going to do. It's like, there's a, a million hours of film of Dave Aranda's defense. Like every, um, every defense, like every staff going into every game, you know what they do you know what they're going to do and it's, you can see, and it's still just right. It's a chess match of guessing of like, okay, which we cannot do everything. We cannot be good at everything. So what weakness are they going to try to exploit and what weakness of theirs can we try to exploit and hope you make the right guess. Right. And it's, and, and it's not, I think the, it is, you know, so it is overblown of like the, you know, oh, Mateus and Mateos and Grimes were here before. And I think that's a lot of media hype, but I think on the field, it doesn't, doesn't really necessarily make that much of a difference. If anything, I mean, I don't know if there may be players that come out really excited because they're like, we're going to make you regret leaving Provo. Like if anything, that would be a bigger impact of hyping players up more so than the X's and O's of the actual game. Mm-hmm. I, I am, I'm excited for Mama Teos. Uh, Coach Mateos's mother, and I'm hopeful. I mean, it, it seems unlikely, but I'm hopeful that she's going to be sporting her Give Em Hell Brigham sweatshirt that she bought after Coach Mateos left for Baylor. I'm hopeful that she's, you know, if not to support BYU, to support us, to support the show. That's what I want to see happen this week. And it, when did, I'm trying to remember the timeline because it wasn't right away. It was a while after he left. It wasn't like two days later. She still like got to be wearing stuff. It was like a month after they left. Is yeah, when it, was, she it was a little while. I mean, because we didn't come out of that design for a little while. She's incredible. She's great. She's always been a friend of the program. 
Uh, and so I think she won. I think she really just liked the, the the sweatshirt. Go check them out. They're still there. It's our number one selling design. Always has been. Uh, give them help. Break them.com. But I think she also wanted to to help support us and help support the the show. So that was cool. She's a she's a fan, and uh, she's great. She did say this was a few weeks ago, uh, maybe even a couple months ago. She did say that she can be bought. So if we want her to support BYU on Saturday, she can be bought. And it usually, she says, is, is food, you know? So whoever can offer her the best food and you're competing with Texas barbecue and she's a Southern girl, so it's going to be tough. But if you could top the Texas barbecue, it's going to be offered to her. She will probably show up in a BYU short for us. And that could be a big deal. I don't know. I. Uh, Maybe, maybe does she need to be, she needs to be like a guest picker, right? Like she needs to be Lee Corso of which head, which mascot head is she going to put on Saturday morning? Yeah, there you go. I don't know how we arrange that, but if we can, we'll, we'll figure it out. Uh, We should also be grateful. I mean, you're in Utah. You mentioned that at the beginning of this. Uh, We should be grateful that we played Utah State when we did and not this week. I, as you all know, hail from cash valley originally and i got a, a text from an uncle of mine who lives in uh nibley utah which is in the valley up there they had 10 inches of snow this week oh that's disgusting i mean i was down here in utah county where uh there was like no inches of snow but it was colder than 70 degrees and i thought i was gonna die yeah no they had 10 he sent me the picture of his tape measure in the snow 10 inches of snow in Nibley, Utah. Uh, it's cold, man. And this is Utah. And it's funny that you mentioned that. My my sister, this was my roundabout way of bringing this up. My sister shared this on Facebook. And I'm not normally one for those things that get shared, those, you know, like pictures or whatever with words on them. But this one made me laugh. Uh, for those of you who may be new to the area, Utah, don't panic. This is just first winter, which follows first fall. First fall were those three weeks of really nice, cool weather without the, a lot of wind that we just left. First winter is what you're experiencing now. An early snowfall that leaves the unprepared wondering what hit them. But don't worry, we will be back to second fall by the end of the day today. Maybe by tomorrow at the, le- at the latest. Second fall will usually ask close to the end of November, usually. At which point, second winter will come and last through March. In March, you should expect first spring, followed by third winter, followed by second spring. And if that doesn't describe the state of affairs in in our Utah weather system, I don't know what does. Yeah, I remember. Um, I remember my like senior of high school, and it was like it was spring break, and it was April. And all of a sudden we got dumped like four and a half, like six inches of snow just came down super hard. And it was my car. I was at work and went outside and my car was like frozen and I couldn't get out because there was so much snow. I had to have someone I had to dig out all around it. And it was a pain. And that, that third winter is the one that hurts the most. Like the January, you can expect it to be cold in January, but that three days of snow that you get in the middle of March or April, that sucks. Mm-hmm. It's the worst because you think you're out of it only to find out you're not really out of anything. Yep. Um, and, and it really is, but I'm glad that you do not have 10 inches of snow. Um, but if you did, you'd probably just sit inside and watch football all day. 
in which That's there's true. worse thing there's worse things to do uh there but this season things. this season has been insane right we've talked about you know we got Iowa who the, Iowa being number 2 in the country uh Kirk Ferentz making comments to the media thinking that his kid is actually a good offensive coordinator and their he, their offense is horrible uh you have Nebraska getting beat by Illinois and then everyone thinking Scott Frost is DOA, but then last week when they're kicking off somehow over the course of the last month, that game starting, you're like, you know, I could actually see Nebraska knocking off Michigan and they almost did it. You know, the Bama game, the Virginia tech almost knocked off Notre Dame and they needed a last second field goal. They was last weekend was a bananas, bananas weekend. And this weekend's going to be good too. Uh, we not as many big games, but I think there's a couple sleepers that we have. Uh, you know, that maybe off the beaten path for some of our viewers. And I think the big kind of, well, I think most people, the kind of game of the week is the SEC game, right? The undefeated Kentucky at Georgia. And if this is truly 2007, then Kentucky is playing the role of Kansas in this. And so they're obviously, Kentucky is going to go 11 and one and go to a BCS game. And they're probably going to get their heads like steamrolled by Georgia this weekend. But we also got UCF at Cincinnati. Uh, this one will probably be a little overhyped by fans who haven't been following because UCF is not UCF is not even what they were that week one game against Boise, right? Dylan Gabriel's got a broken collarbone. So true freshman, Mikey Keene, um, who is the quarterback that took over for Jacob Conover over at Chandler high school. He is, uh, he's, he's he's playing there and he's okay, but I mean, he's a true freshman. He's taking his lumps and they've uh, that Bowser, that running back that they got from Northwestern who did really, really well in that Boise game. He's like got a broken leg and he's done for the year. Like they, UCF is not who they were at the start of the season. They're like the, on the opposite path of Nebraska, but it'll still be a fun game um, to watch. And the other big one out of the ACC is the pit of Virginia Tech. And I think, I think Virginia Tech fans might be starting to get a little antsy with Justin Fuente and he needs to start putting some things together. And Pitt is surprisingly, Pitt is a good ball club this year. And Kenny Pickett, their quarterback, if they were undefeated, he would probably be in Heisman conversations, as weird as that sounds. Because Pitt is really good. And I bet you that most of our quarterbacks have not, most of our quarterbacks probably have not listened or watched him or watched Pitt play at all. But right now through their five and one, um, through their six games, or four and one, sorry, four and one, through five games, he's completing 72% of his passes, got 1,800 yards, 19 touchdowns, one interception. And he's got another uh, another buck fifty on the ground and two more scores. Like it's Pitt is a really good team this year, and they're fun to watch. You probably haven't watched a Pitt game yet, so check out that Pitt Virginia Tech game. And hopefully they wear their really good uniforms, which I think yeah. they wear almost exclusively now. Not quite they're, exclusively, uh, but almost exclusively. They're going back. It's kind of the same. It's taking the same path that Royal is taking in Provo. Yeah. Yep. Uh, some other good games that, that I care about a little bit, Arizona state and Utah. That's a big game. Uh, if, if nothing else, I had my week last week where I cheered for Utah. I, I wanted them to beat USC because I wanted them to have something to feel good about. Uh, I don't normally care if Utah feels good or not, but I do when it is off the field stuff, like what happened with Aaron Lowe. So I was, you know, I was all in with the Utes last week and I was happy to see them get the big win at the Coliseum against USC. Uh, but now I'm starting to see all of the reasons coming back, why Utah fans have been so unbearable with things like, oh, well, 
let me show a chart of why actually BYU should have, you know, isn't that good because of some plays, some dumb stuff. So or, go some- or any anything that happened before Charlie Brewer got benched doesn't count. Right, right, because no other college football team has had to deal with quarterback changes. Only I'm I'm I am okay with that if it means that we strike 54-10 from the record as well, since that went away and Riley Nelson finished the season as the starting quarterback. So that doesn't count. That's I'm fair. fine. Well, well I, mean, I, mean, the, I think any of the games uh, that Taysom played, he was also hurt in those years. So different quarterback, those don't count. Yep. It just none yeah, of it counts no, every time. I agree. And then a sneaky fun game. It's not going to be a good game. It's not going to be a game that matters in the national landscape of college football whatsoever. But Arizona and Colorado, it's the suck bowl of the Pac-12 South. And Arizona has quietly started looking like a football team. They still haven't won a game. They still are on their two-year losing streak. But they are quietly looking like a football team. And Colorado doesn't always look like a football team. One weekend, they can compete with Texas A&M. The next weekend, they're awful. They're getting blown out. So this game, for no other reason than it could be the end of the two-year losing streak, should be one that is on your watch list because I think it will be kind of a fun game. Uh, Something to point out, the last time Arizona won a football game was November 2nd, 20. Oh, no, oops, sorry, wrong year. Maybe. Oh, dang it. I was so excited about this. And then I realized I typed in 2018 instead of 2019. Mm. Their last game, they they lost their last territorial cup and the and then the last two games of the season in 20. Oh, nope, never mind. This still works. The last time they won a game was October 15th <laughs> or October 5th. 2019 at Colorado at Folsom hey. Field in Boulder, Colorado. And the last game that they won in 2018, they went five and seven and they lost against their last game that they won. Then they dropped their last two games was November 2nd, also against Colorado. So the last, the last two well, games the last they've won. Two wins. Yes. Or, well, they had a couple wins, you know, before in 2019 because they've won four oh, games yeah. that year. But yeah, the right. last. Okay. The uh, but two of their last five wins are yes. against Colorado. Yes, spreading. So, <laughs> over, but yes, the the last win of their program was over two years ago against Colorado. So I think Dang. what better way streak, to end a streak? This, I don't think they. Uh, oh, I guess they would have played Colorado last year because they're in the South. Well, you never even but, know with COVID, but. Um. Yep, they did. They lost twenty-four to thirteen, which isn't even that bad. Like it was that was <laughs> the, almost like a win. That was like their closest game, other than <laughs> somehow they played USC tight, but much closer uh, <laughs> than losing. Much closer than lo- the next week when they lost seventy to seven. I mean, I would check it out. Uh, Arizona, Colorado, check it out. Uh, the last thing I think that we have to just kind of briefly mention: uh, BYU did pick up a commitment this week. Uh, from a 2023 prospect, Hezekiah Anahu Ambrosio plays at Tempu. Uh, he's going to end up being a running back, would be my guess. Uh, he could play, he could, I don't know, maybe grow into a linebacker, but I think he's probably a running back. I like his game. I've seen Tempu play a couple of times. I don't know if he has updated his film or not, but I've seen him play, and I like him. Uh, I, I don't think he is a 
a world beater of a commit, but but we've got him an early rating of 84. That's a very solid ranking. That's you know firm three star ranking, and I I think that's probably about right from what I've seen. He's solid, uh, and his name is Hezekiah, so feels like he has to come to BYU. And if he doesn't go to BYU, uh, then he can't play college football, and he has to end up as a student at Enzyme College with a name like Hezekiah. And so I think his younger right brother's. Place. I think his younger brother, who's like a twenty twenty four kid or twenty five kid, is it is Zedekiah. Yeah, he is a Zedekiah. The, they're they're all about them biblical names over there in their mm-hmm. household. Yeah, the Old Testament names, not even just biblical names like Matt. We're talking the real biblical names. Yeah. So they, uh, another commitment that's great, and I think his little brother is also a commit, but it's too early to even really talk about it. So. Yeah. And so, do we know is he going to play offense or defense? Because yeah, he, I think I think offense is where he'll okay. end up. But he's, I mean, that's the thing. Uh, when it, when it comes to these early Polynesian commits, like it's just so hard to predict what they're going to do because each of them develops so differently, right? Like uh, when Noah Moiaki committed, like it was probably going to play, he was probably going to play outside linebacker. Like that was where he was slated. And now you look at Noah Moiaki a year and a half later, and it's like, oh, he's a big giant tight end. Like could he possibly grow into being a offensive tackle one day? And, right. and that's what's tough. But if he were to go to BYU today, I think he is uh, starts out on the offensive side of the ball. Right. And, and he does have a little bit more defensive, at least Tim view this year is using him more uh, defensively. Uh, so he's got 70 tackles, 17 TFLs and seven sacks um, through nine games. And he, he's got a handful of carries, right? Like 6.8 yards. He's averaging just under seven yards a carry. Um, but he's definitely not their primary running back, but it's, he, he played in Hawaii, moved up here after, after you know with covid everything um but he he's a player right and it's i think he he's a good athlete and he just has that good frame that it's like you know he can play anywhere from safety like he can play safety he can play linebacker he can play running back you know he can he can do a lot he fits that mold where he can do a lot of different things for you and that matters is, that, that matters yeah, to this coaching staff and and have having that flexibility where it's you either better be able to do a lot of different things or you better be tall and fast as hell. Yeah, absolutely exceptional at the one thing you do. Right. And, and that, so, you know what? And, and that's interesting, right? Like, I don't want to drag on and talk about this forever, but the way that you just put that, I think, is, is incredibly astute because that is what BYU has had to do. Like, if they can get a Cody Hagen who is absolutely elite, you know, Cody Hagen is one of the best wide receivers in the country. And that isn't just statistically like his track times, his spark scores, his athletic, like everything he does is elite. Okay. There's just not very many of those Cody Hagen type athletes that are interested in BYU. So they got to get him when they come through and they did right. And they got Hagen. That's huge. But if you're not going to be elite like Cody Hagan, then you better do a lot of things for BYU so that they can employ you in a lot of different ways. And that is what Hezekiah brings to the table. The other 2023 commit right now, Poke Haunga, also a running back at Tim View, also could play linebacker at the next level. Very similar. He could do a lot of different things at the next level. That That is incredibly important to this coaching staff if you're not absolutely elite at the one position you play. Right. And so it's, 
and I think it is good for, you know, just to recruit those, uh, recruit where we do have that flexibility. And, and it's kind of similar to what we've seen with Altus Castle. I've got uh, Jalen Kalama up at Wasatch, right? Like he's another similar guy where it's, okay, is he going to, like what year is he going to play? Or what um, what position is he going to play? He could be a safety, he could be a receiver, he could be a linebacker. He could even hit on his mission and come back and say, hey, you got the frame to get up to 245 and be Dallin Holker size from playing tight end. Right. And mm-hmm. so there's um, there's a lot of just a ton, a ton of different um, positions that they can play. And so it, it, I like Hezekiah. He's a good pickup. He fits things. Um, we do. Uh, we do also have the commit from Isaiah Moa. Um, so ice is also in the back. So now adding Hagen and Moa to the top of that, um, the top of this class do, you know, it really improving things a lot there. And it, there is a scholarship crunch. And so we may see some scholarships that were held stuck you know, put out for other guys that maybe are no longer an option on the table, right? Because when a player like Heismoa comes in the door and says, I want in, you take them. Yeah. I mean, that's the name of the game. And uh, the, the transfer addition of Cade Fennigan is going to prove to be very, very important for BYU. And I don't think that people, I think people are basing a lot of their opinions on Cade Finnegan based on what they saw in that game. And look like that, that was worse than a Jacob Conover against Utah state situation. Like Finnegan was thrown in and wasn't ready. Like shouldn't have really ever been in that game. And he didn't look great, but he eventually figured it out and he looked okay by the end, you know, by the, by the end of the game, but this kid could play. Uh, Let's not forget that that USC wanted him and, and, and Boise state wanted him like this kid can play. And that addition is going to prove to have a monumental role in the class of, of 2022. And so. if let he who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Right. Uh, Jeff, it has been a great episode. Uh, we will hopefully have a post-game fireside after a victorious Saturday against the Baylor Bears. Uh, come if you have not joined our Discord yet. Go to givenhelpbrigham.com, click the Discord button, come join us. Our game, shout out to Mike Polson for naming our game thread this week. You can come and join us on the Shiplap Saturday game thread, which is probably, I think that's my favorite name that we've had throughout that's so far a good this one. season. That's um, a really good one. And there have been a, plenty of Chip and Joe memes throughout the week, which I will never not laugh at. But until then, Jeff, give them hell. Give them hell. <laughs>